You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about uh, what we think is uh, a very serious uh, situation here. We're going to entitle this, The War of Words Against Russia Could Turn Hot. And we've seen a lot of indications of this, the uh, war that's going on in Syria, We'll talk about that, and there's different factions here in the United States that are even advocating going to war further against the uh, government of Syria, al-Assad, and his ally, Russia, who has been helping there. And so there's questions, who are we really fighting in Syria? Are we really trying to get rid of ISIS, or are we really trying to get rid of the Assad regime? And could it get worse? Could it escalate right on to... Russia's borders. We've seen what's happened in the Ukraine, the expansion of NATO eastward. In 1991, when Russia fell, there was a word from then-President George Herbert Walker Bush that NATO would not be expanded. And now we're seeing that NATO has expanded to the east and right on the doorstep, literally, of Russia with nuclear missiles being installed in places like Poland, and so we are creating an atmosphere of the dangerous situation that we need to look at and uh, reflect. We certainly don't have a crystal ball here, ladies and gentlemen, but we'd like to look at it logically, and anybody that's looked at the news will see that there has been a, a demonization of Russia. Here's an example just recently. It's in the Washington Post. The uh, Russians were blamed for hacking into the Democratic National Convention's computer system or their uh, servers or whatever it is. And uh, there is no strong evidence, but this was picked up by various mainstream uh, media sources like Politico and uh, MSNBC and Reuters and, and Fox and the USA Today and so forth, and given the uh, certainty that this was the Russians, well, there's an outfit called Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting that revealed that the hacker claimed to be independent, and there's no good indication that the Russians were behind it, but the sources that handle the security for the DNC claimed that the Russians could have been used through an intermediary and so forth. And so the, the blame was put heavily on Russia, but as some more conflicting information came out, they changed their story uh, and toned it down, saying that it's possibly Russia. But we've seen this over and over again, that Russia is the culprit here, and poor the United States, we're just looking out to protect the world and so we want to talk about a couple interesting articles. America's biggest of all lies were not threatening Russia. This was by an Eric Zeus who writes for strategicculture.org. We found the story in Popular Resistance. 
And then the other story is from the Wall Street Journal. It's entitled, U.S. State Department Officials Call for Strikes Against Syria's Assad. Chuck, why don't you give us some thoughts uh, on these two articles, please? Well, of course, uh, we are a pro-peace organization. We've had a struggle with wars in the Middle East because our church friends, at least a third of them, that we've come to call the neo-Christians, or sometimes Christian Zionists, as some of them call themselves, have basically uh, refused to take an anti-war position, a pro-peace position, because they've had the feeling that Israel was benefiting from these wars. And Israel was supporting these wars, so they supported them as well, or they took a, a look the other way and smile and pretend it's not going on attitude. Here we have a, a situation where churches might actually pay some attention to the peaceful motion because they really can't have, they don't have that to say about Russia. Russia is really not a biblical state in their minds. So they don't have a preconceived hatred or love for uh, either one for Russia. And there's enough water under the dam in the last 50 years that people have forgotten about the Cold War. Most people today who are voting age think Russians are another place that's probably okay. So that's all good, and we ought to be able to do something to influence people against us being dragged into another war, which in the case of Russia could be World War III. Now, the reason I say that is that Russia is very influential in their, their own sphere. They started a financial organization called BRICS in 2009. It consists of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. There are currently some 57 other countries that have indicated an interest in being involved in the BRICS financial network, which would be a competing network with the U.S. dollar for world trade. Russia has been instrumental in starting this. These countries are largely more impoverished countries in most cases, they have large mineral resources, and this is except for China, I suppose, and India, small populations. Together, however, they have something like 42% of the world's population. So it's beginning to look as though there's something financial in the uh, efforts to discredit Russia and to actually threaten Russia. So we want to talk about these things because we don't want to see our kids going to war against Russia, led into China, and God knows where. And this is something that is impending, and there are now some quite competent people who are talking about it seriously and saying, are these people serious? Would they really threaten war with Russia? Vladimir Putin just came out with a statement in which he stated very clearly that the United States is the only world superpower today. Now, why he would say that is very curious, because nobody asked him the question. He, he went out and volunteered it. But I believe what he's saying is, in a guarded and sort of a European way, I believe that he's saying the U.S. is a war power. And, of course, there's good reason for this, because Russia has been threatened repeatedly over their support for Mr. Assad, for the Assad family, in Syria, uh, where the U.S. has bent on regime change and where the Russians have basically come in and given uh, military support to Assad and have been bombing his enemies, and some of the enemies that they have been bombing seem to have been trained or financed by the United States government. So uh, this is a hot issue, a hot issue in terms of possible war, and uh, one possible reason for it, we, as we examine it, we wonder what possible reason would the United States have to want to challenge a country that we've been in total peace with for uh, 
since 1992, I guess, Tom, isn't that about the time yeah, of exactly. We've had no direct conflict or threats at all from Russians in, during that time. Well, you might want to talk about this article in the Wall Street Journal because it's significant. They're a relatively small group of 51 State Department employees, which is a very small percentage out of the 13,000 in the State Department, but they're basically calling for strikes against Assad, and they're kind of mirroring what the CIA is, is advocating. So, Tom, here you have appointed or hired officials, not elected officials, who work in the State Department, and they're allowed to run a anonymous cable where they make cable releases that end up being printed in major newspapers like the Wall Street Journal. And uh, these guys are anonymously spewing out their opinion of what should be done by the State Department in a way that would be directly making war against the Assad government. And the story tells us that they have gone to great lengths to protect people's rights to have an opinion. But this is a pretty strong opinion, and the problem is it's being promoted. It isn't just some, some talk that's going around the State Department Internet. This is being picked up and used, and it's giving people the impression that people who work inside the State Department know something they don't know, and uh, that we really need to do this. So... This is agitation for war because, of course, you can imagine how Russia, with troops on the ground in Syria and defending the Assad government, would feel if the United States government decided to start bombing the Assad government. Well, Chuck, you have to just step back and look just a couple of years ago to the State Department's action in Ukraine. The Undersecretary Victoria Nuland bragged about the regime change there. And so there was a heavy hand from our government, and of course the resulting action of the people in Crimea was to rejoin with Russia, which caused a lot of consternation, particularly with the U.S., and further demonization of Russia. So there's a lot of power, and we want to remind people of the expression that you came up with, Chuck, USUSG, United States Unelected Supra-Government. And these people, like these in the State Department uh, that are not elected, are part of this supra-government. And as you point out, we could be uh, drawn into a war because of the actions of this supra-government, these plethora of, of agencies, of bureaucrats, that are maneuvering us, what appears to be, in this case with Russia, into uh, uh, some kind of a hot war. Right. Their words are being promoted, that's for sure. They're being used to carry out somebody's agenda. And when you see it come through the Wall Street Journal uh, and so on, then that, that gets uh, pretty clear that there is something afoot that's being promoted. The story in Dissident Voice, America's biggest lie that we are not threatening Russia, when they, and they point out many, many situations where we are taking threatening acts toward Russia. So this is not the only thing. There's also a lot of military activity pointing in the same direction. It would really be very nice now if our churches could recognize this and could start talking about it and uh, start talking about peace. That would be very helpful. And this is something that churches should be taking an interest in. They should be looking at the movements around them that are leading toward criminality and warring acts that, of course, Americans eventually get wrapped up in.
Well, for an example, in this story of, about America's biggest lie of all that we're not threatening, they're pointing out here, quote, on February 2nd, the U.S. Defense Secretary Russia hater Ashton Carter announced and the equally Russian-hating NATO Secretary General Jen Stolenberg welcomed and endorsed America's quadrupling of its troops and weapons on and near Russia's northwestern borders. And America's pilot, Dan Barina, is part of this extremely hostile action. They quote him, uh, he's one of the pilots, they quote, flying missions, and you know they've done all kinds of military exercises and so forth, which make it appear like, hey, we're getting ready for war over there with these kinds of actions. And, of course, the Russians see so, this. Yeah, all of this is incomprehensible because you can't see, can't imagine why our government would be doing this. And, We've written a lot about this, the incredible weakness that's developed in the uh, huge dollar balances that have been issued in the last five years and six or, or more than that, but uh, skyrocketed in the last five years. And now they've been duplicated by the other countries that basically also trade petroleum, at least in dollars. And that's the European Union and the UK. And uh, what we have is we have this enormous debt bubble that has been created that's frightening everyone. And in the face of this, then Russia has started their own currency, which uh, started out being called the BRIC. They now call it the New Development Bank, NDB is what it's called, the New Development Bank, which would issue a currency. I guess they haven't named the currency yet, but uh, they've agreed these five countries that are the BRIC countries, of which Russia was the initial leader, they've agreed to... Uh, put up money, uh, put up reserves, form a central bank of their own, and issue their own reserve currency, which they would then start trading in. And so then when, let's say, Russia sold oil to China, China would pay in this new currency instead of paying in dollars. And, of course, uh, the threat of this to the United States is enormous because if you lose control of being the issuer of the world's currency, the world's trade currency, then what happens is you lose the ability to inflate that currency. Since only the U.S. can print dollars, then because the dollar is used for all, all oil trade all over the world, then the U.S. is able to print money that flows into all these other countries wherever oil is traded and used. It's a tremendous advantage to never have to go broke. No matter what you do, you can continue to print dollars because the dollar is the world's trade currency, accepted everywhere. The BRICS countries have basically said, well, we're tired of the dollar. We don't like a lot of things about the dollar. Let's get together and issue our own currency and trade in that. I really do believe that if we look at the root of why Russia is being attacked, it has nothing to do with territory. It has nothing to do with the Ukraine. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, their taking back the Crimea along with this, with a seaport that they'd always had there. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with their military power. It's economic. And at the root of all this is uh, a fear that the U.S. is losing uh, the battle to control the world currency because we have printed so many. And because we have now created a debt structure behind the dollar, which is so great that it's almost incomprehensible. And along with that, then the European countries, 
that have gone along with the dollar as being the world trade currency. They have gone ahead and printed their own currencies at a similar rate to ours. And so Western Europe and the United States and Great Britain are all super inflated, super indebted, and have enormous debt balances. The BRICS countries are kind of the poor guys in the world. They sort of have resources that people live more humbly. Not that they're fiscally responsible. I don't know governments ever are. But this at the root of this hostility toward Russia, it's my guess, guys, that it's money that's really behind it. And it's a fear in Washington, D.C. that we're going to lose the battle for who controls the world's central trade currency. Chuck, I think you answered your own question. There's, you know, there's 19 trillion reasons why uh, we're going this direction. And I think a lot of this is just posturing. It's just like the whole um, mutually assured destruction that kept us out of nuclear wars through the Cold War. I think just the threat of this buildup is to put Russia and the rest of the, the BRIC nations kind of at bay. So, you know, like, don't, don't go there. So they're, they're using this, uh, this military bravado in the same way we used the, uh, the mutually assured destruction back in the, in the 50s and 60s. Very good. So what do you think will happen? Do you think Russia can be provoked into actually into war, or do you think Russia will somehow turn away, or what do you think will happen? I think they're, they're smarter than uh, realizing that uh, a, a shooting war, a hot war, is not beneficial to anybody. I think a, a gradual eroding of the uh, the U.S. Uh, dollar as the uh, standard currency is, is is the way to go. I mean, we've, we've talked about there are uh, missile bases all around Russia. Well, Russia's got these nuclear submarines uh, with these MIRV warheads right off our coast. So it's, it's like you know, the the whole idea of, of the Cuba missile crisis. Uh, they're they're sitting right off our shores right now in international waters even more so than the Cuban Missile Crisis. So the, the threat is there, or the counter-threat is, is there to any of our bravado. It's existing already. So I, I, I would expect to see Russia just eroding at this financial thing that we've set up and saying, you know, no more. You, you guys, the, the game's over. And I think we've talked about it before where every war-based economy eventually goes into default because they can't fund their wars anymore. You know, society goes into decay. And that's where we're headed right now, because $19 trillion of a war-based economy, we just can't pay the bills anymore. That's absolutely true. Now, the other question maybe is, what if there were, like what happened in 1968 in Vietnam, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was a fabricated incident to get us totally uh, into that war? And so could we fabricate something... uh, along the way that Russia would have to respond, or if what's happening in Syria, if that gets escalated as these 51 State Department officials want, would there be reactions from Russia there? Could it expand? You know, there's lots of questions that we don't know about this. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we want you just to think about these things. And, of course, when you listen to the mainstream media or you read something from it, Why not look elsewhere for some other opinions and find out what other sources are saying about it? There is a lot of available information on the Internet. There's a lot of good and bad and so forth, and that's where common sense comes in. And so we hope you enjoyed this little discussion here about Russia. Thanks for listening. This is Glenn. I I just had a comment to make, Tom. Yes. There's a a video out that kind of 
points to one of the main theorized causes of all this, and it's called All Wars Are Bankers' Wars. And it goes through the roots of every major war, even back to the Revolutionary War, where the government of England basically was imposing fiat currencies on the United States colonists. And that was one of the many reasons why the colonists were rebelling. And basically, the bankers of the world have gotten so much power from their money that power begets power. All right. Well, great. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. And also... The groundbreaking book, The Secrets of the Federal Reserve by Eustace Mullins. That was written in the 50s, yes. updated in the 80s. It's very significant. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.